drive time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Now, here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to God. On this Memorial Monday, please do keep those men and women who have given their lives in the service of our country in prayer today. The repose of their souls, we are not sure, but it's going to be a great program. In fact, today is the best of. We're not in the studio today. We are also marking Memorial Day as the Guadalupe Radio Network, and we're going to be off about the devil. And we do Carl have some Marks. wonderful interviews we also lined have up. Eric uh, How about the devil from and Carl Marx with Dr. Paul Kenbor? That was a fan favorite face. back in 2021. We're going to be playing that for you today. Eric Sammons is going to be on on uh, not compromising on your faith, as well as Jesse Romero but and spiritual warfare all coming up in this program today. I want to give you drive time. So join us for the whole of it if you are able to. But I want to give you something to consider on Memorial Day. Someone to consider. Vincent to pray Capodano. for. Back in 1967, Father Vincent Capodano, Father Vincent Capodano was, gave his uh, well life loved and in the service and of the Marines that he was there to, a to help get to heaven. He it was a six-hour-long battle nice. where he ultimately and uh, died. And, and uh, the reports of his heroism so that day are amazing. Now, Father Vincent Capodano was a married old priest. And become he a served in Thailand. He also served in Hong Kong. And eventually, he gave he got permission to join US the Navy Corps. as a chaplain. He went to Vietnam. Battles. And the Marines absolutely so loved, loved him. The they called him the Grunt Padre. And I want to read for you Padre. the Medal of and Honor citation to them in their difficulties. And he did not shirk his responsibility to be present even amongst the most difficult and dangerous times. And in 1967, he was there with his Marines under a very difficult and arduous six-hour battle where he would move from foxhole to foxhole, assisting those that were dying. In fact, uh, when, they, when they launched chemical weapons on the battlefield, he would give his own gas mask to Marines so that they could survive the day. He, he himself was wounded, and he never stopped administering last rites, carrying the dying and the, and the wounded back to, uh, to where they could get help. And, and today I want to read for you the Medal of Honor citation that was awarded to him posthumously. And I think it'll be very telling about the character of the man, a priest, a Catholic priest, who was never afraid of dying because there were souls to be saved and something that he could do, even in the midst of something so chaotic as the battlefield. Here's the Medal of Honor citation for Father Vincent Capadano. For conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life, Above and beyond the call of duty as chaplain of the 3rd Battalion in connection with the operations against enemy forces. In response to reports that the 2nd Platoon of M Company was in danger of being overrun by a massed enemy assaulting force, Lieutenant Capadano left the relative safety of the company command post and ran through an open area raked with fire directly to the beleaguered platoon. Disregarding the intense enemy small arms and automatic weapons and mortar fire, he moved about the battlefield, administering last rites to the dying and giving medical aid to the wounded. 
when an exploding mortar round inflicted painful multiple wounds to his arms and legs and severed a portion of his right hand, he steadfastly refused all medical aid. Instead, he directed the corpsmen to help their wounded comrades and with calm vigor continued to move about the battlefield as he provided encouragement by voice and example to the valiant Marines. Upon encountering a wounded corpsman in the direct line of fire of an enemy machine gunner positioned approximately 15 yards away, Lieutenant Vincent Capadano rushed a daring attempt to aid and assist the mortally wounded corpsman. At that instant, only inches from his goal, he was struck down by a burst of machine gun fire. By his heroic conduct on the battlefield and inspiring example, Lieutenant Capadano upheld the finest traditions of the U.S. Naval Service. He gallantly gave his life in the cause of freedom. Father Vincent Capadano, pray for us. Joining us right now via phone is Dr. Paul Kingor. He is a poli-sci professor at Grove City College, and he is the author of several books, but uh, the one I want to talk about today is The Devil and Karl Marx, Communism's Long March of Death, Deception, and Infiltration. Dr. Paul Kingor, thank you for being on our program. Yeah, Joe, it's good to be with you. Thanks. You know, uh, as you well know, as you've, you've said probably many times now, it, it's, it's hard not to look at the headlines and realize the sort of the state of the affairs, that the trouble we're in. We live in a day and an age where people openly embrace, they're not secret about it anymore, they openly embrace or espouse socialism and even communism, and one has to wonder, do they have any idea what they're thinking or saying? Um, and this book... I've, I've gone through the audio book. I'm, I'm probably just about 75% into it at this point. And I have the uh, printed copy or the digital version in front of me as well. And this is a hammer blow to anybody mm-hmm. who would espouse socialism, communism. And so I'm very excited to have you on our program. And I want to start with Karl well, Marx. Thank you. Yeah. I want to start with Karl Marx. I know he's only about a third of your book in actuality. However, I think it's the most important part of the, of the entire book in the sense that revisionist history is a thing, and getting to know who this person really is is super important. Can you start there? Tell us, who is Karl Marx? Sure, yeah, and um, I haven't listened to the audio yet myself, so you're doing better than me. That's, uh, <laughs> it's very good. That's impressive. <laughs> That's impressive, and and the uh, yeah, and I, and I and I've got to say, you're right. If people only knew, I mean, I think uh, this maybe you wanted to ask this to me later. I shouldn't jump ahead, but somebody like Patrice Cullors, who's the president of Black Lives Matter, uh, Black Lives Matter, and, and she she is um, she's an avowed Marxist. She's very open about it. Um, read Lenin, Marx, and Mao, and if she only knew, among other things, not just what a, a diabolical ideology this is that Marx crafted here. But, but that Marx was a, an awful person and an awful racist, for that matter. I mean, so, and, and this is stuff that people don't know, and including so many Catholics. So many Catholics raised in our modern Catholic education, Catholic schools. Right? Catholics a few generations ago did know about it. I mean, they did know about the evils of communism. So the failure to know this stuff, and I commend you for talking about this, is, is, explains where we are now. And you're right. If people that don't know this, if they actually pause and open the book and look at it, it will be a hammer blow. And I've had people, including a lot of people that are listening right now, they're going to follow up and probably send me an email on this. 
who who say, you know, I, I read this, and my kid in college or twenty something really needs to read this, but I just don't think that she or he he will. Right? You know, how do I even get them to to read it? And the point is, play upon what they've been taught in their secular universities about diversity and freedom of thought and tolerance. If they're really open-minded, if they're really tolerant, if they really believe in diversity, then they'll, they'll open and read a book that they might think they might not agree with. Right. So, yeah, sorry. That's a, a little bit of a long digression. And so to start with the person of Marx, boy, uh, yeah, he was born in Trier, Germany, May 5th, 1818. So a little over 200 years ago. And I'll just start with this, Joe, and then cut me off and, and, <laughs> and jump in at any point. But he was, Trier is one of the most Catholic cities in all of Germany. Uh, and in fact, you'd probably put in the top three. It was, wow. it, it, the, the, yeah, the original cathedral in Trier was founded around the year 330 by none other than St. Helena, the mother to Augustine of all people. The, the, and when, when Helena went to the Holy Land to make her famous pilgrimage where she came back with, among other things, she believed uh, the, the true cross, pieces of the true cross. She came back with the crown of thorns that's in Notre Dame today. She also came back with what she believed was the holy robe, the holy coat that Jesus wore on the way to his crucifixion, that the Roman soldiers cast lots for at the, at the, at the foot of the cross. That, that robe is in that cathedral in Trier. That's the town where Marx grew up. So Marx grew up quite literally in the shadow of that great cathedral. And as you probably noticed, one, one of the quite literally you know, diabolical plays that Marx wrote, he, he wrote often, he wrote a number, of, a number of poems, plays even, about evil, about the devil. In one of them, he has this devil character who's sawing on this violin and working himself up to in this, this frenzy of flames. The guy, when he's wearing this, Marx not only wrote the play, the script, he also wrote the stage for it. He wrote the costumes, everything. While, while this, this player, this violinist, is, 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 is playing this kind of devilish music, he's wearing the holy robe of wow. Jesus. Yeah, he's wow. wearing the holy robe of Jesus. And, and I opened the book with two different stanzas from do, two different plays, or poems of Marx. And the one, the player, that's the one where he says, uh, see this sword, the prince of darkness, sold it to me. It stabs unerringly within thy soul till the hellish vapors rise and fill the brain, till my heart goes mad and I go utterly insane. Uh, I play ever boldly, I play to the dance of death. So that, that comes from that play. So Marx had this weird, sick fascination with the devil. I say very carefully in the book, that you know, I am not of the authority as a as a, as a secular uh, secular person, as or as a historian, to to level a charge like, oh, Marx was possessed. Yeah, I, I picked up on that early. Man. Obviously, you make yeah. this you make this uh, this clause. Yeah, you know, it's like this is the default statement. I have to read this. You know, I got to make right. sure everybody understands. I'm not declaring him possessed. Okay, now we can move right. on. He is potentially very possessed. <laughs> yeah, it, I like how it's the devil and Karl Marx and, and not the devil in Karl Marx. <laughs> right, right. Oh, very good. Well, that, well and, and I should point out, I, I quote there some, some scholars, uh, biographers of Marx, who feel that he was possessed. 
And you know, one of them is the late pastor Richard Wormbrand, who who was who was literally tortured in in communist prison camps in Romania, and he had people he had communist torturers quite literally shouting at him, "We are the devil! We are the devil!" Wow. So so he yeah he believed that Marx was I think he said a Satanist, and uh, now he'll be dismissed by a lot of secular historians. I, I quote one of them, Francis Wien, who's very pro-Marx, and makes fun of Wormbrand for it. And I note in the book, in a footnote, I'm like, you know, that's re- really kind of rude and crude to do that, Mr. Ween, because after all, you know, you weren't tortured in communist prison like Wormbrand was, right? You know, cut the guy some slack. And the other person who's a really a, a scholar and true authority on Marx was a, a British scholar named Robert Payne, who was a, a British... Uh, man of arts, letters, playwright, literature, a really eclectic, very well-rounded, you know, absolutely not what anyone would consider a, you know, a right-winger. Wrote a couple of major biographies of Marx, 1968, early 70s. Uh, and he wrote, he said, there did seem times in which Marx believed he was doing the works of, of the devil. And, and he said where it seemed like Marx might have been possessed. So others have said that. But I just I always want to be very careful, especially as a Catholic, right? Faith, hope, and charity. We want to be charitable. You don't ever want to level a charge at somebody like that if you don't know, right? But but as I say in the book, whether or not the guy was a was a Satanist or possessed, and he was an atheist, so he probably he didn't believe in the spiritual. Um, we should all at least agree that what we see here from Marx is very troubling, very troubling. And certainly not somebody who or whose or whose philosophy and ideology one would want to emulate. Did you happen to read any of Fulton Sheen's uh, books on communism or any of his speeches on communism? Did he talk about read this kind of thing? Every book. I read every book that Sheen did on communism, communism and the conscience of the West, even books that um, almost pamphlets, smaller books. Um, a, a communist, a communism answers the questions of a communist. That's one that hardly anyone even knows about. I haven't heard so, that. So, yeah, yeah. And so Sheen, uh, Sheen knew, Sheen knew this. He, he, knew, he knew a lot of it. He especially knew the personal stuff on Marx. And if you look in the end notes. What was in the end notes? Oh, you have to wait until after this short little break. And we'll find out what Paul Kingora was going to say. All this and more on Catholic Drive Time just after this short break. Don't go anywhere. And while you're away, while we're away, share us with a friend. Men, it's time. The Men's March to End Abortion and Rally for Personhood is Saturday, June 11th, the weekend before Father's Day, from 12 to 3 p.m. in Tallahassee, Florida. Men gather at 12 p.m. for the march, while women, children, and families join us for the 2 p.m. rally at the Florida State Capitol. You are needed. Every life matters. Join us on June 11th in Tallahassee. For more information, go to themensmarch.com. Atheists claim theists are essentially no different than atheists because we reject gods too, such as Greek and Roman gods. But this is plain absurdity. What's our reason? First, it's an abuse of language. A theist believes in at least one god. An atheist doesn't believe in any god. They're mutually exclusive terms. 
To say a theist is an atheist to most gods is like saying a married man is a bachelor to most women. Second, it's bad reasoning. To say I'm an atheist because I reject some gods is like saying I'm an anarchist, one who rejects all forms of government because I reject communism and fascism, some forms of government. But that's silly. So the claim that atheists and theists are no different doesn't hold water. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. And we're back. But we're not actually back. It's Memorial Day, so we got some old best of shows. So Paul Kingor, rest of that interview now. Uh, a communist, uh, communism answers the questions of a communist. That's one that hardly anyone even knows about. I haven't heard so, that. So, yeah, yeah. And so Sheen, uh, Sheen knew... She knew this. He, he, knew, he knew a lot of it. He especially knew the personal stuff on Marx. And if you look in the end notes, I quote, um, I quote Sheen. I quote the uh, conservative British historian Paul Johnson. I quote Wormbrand. But most of all, wherever I can, I, I quote the original primary sources, Marx himself, and, and also sympathetic Marxist historians it, to the extent that they cover this stuff. You know, most of the modern-day Marxist historians avoid this stuff like the plague. But the, the, the original Marx plays, the really chilling ones, they, they were discovered by Marx's original biographer, a German socialist named Franz Mehring, who, when he discovered this stuff, he told Marx's daughter, he said, <laughs> you do not want people to see this. Right? You, you know, this stuff, put, you know, put this under lock and key. I mean, this is really bad, right? So for, for anybody listening now who's maybe a Marxist who wants to shrug this off, Marx's original historian didn't shrug it off. I mean, he, he knew how ugly this was. He, he knew how disturbing it was. And it was left to a communist, the Bolshevik, David Ryazanov of the, of the Marx-Ingalls Institute in Moscow, to find this stuff almost 40, 50 years later and at least had the intellectual integrity to say, no, this needs to be preserved. This needs to be kept. This is the real Karl Marx. And, um, you know, th- we, you know this, this, this should not be suppressed. We need, this information needs to be known. Dr. Paul Kangor is our guest. His book is The Devil and Karl Marx. It is published by TAN, by the way, and we will link to it, of course. It is a great book. I highly recommend it. It is uh, intense in parts, actually, a, a hammer blow to this modern revisionist ideal of a utopia that we can somehow all achieve is now out and out and put in the public sphere. It's a very concerning. I want to go back to Marx and, and you know, and you, you made the mention you can't really say one way or another he was possessed, but the evidence does show an incredible disturbance in this person. He was born Jewish. His father converted to Protestantism, grew up in the most Catholic town in Germany, um, but this guy, he was not a happy person. He was a disturbed individual, angry. His family life was horrible. I mean, tell me about some of the, those types of details. I mean, his da- two of his daughters, uh, I learned from your book, uh, committed suicide in a suicide pact. This is disturbing yeah. information. This is not a person who is peaceful himself, let alone could present to us how to achieve utopia. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, so two da- I mean, as a historian, I don't know of another case of this ever. He had two daughters who committed suicide in suicide packs with their husbands. 
okay? And, and, and uh, one of the husbands ended up backing out on the suicide pact after he, after he gave his, his wife, Marx's daughter, poison. Hmm. And this guy, Edward, Edward Aveling, was just, just an awful guy. In fact, he was a lot like Marx, very selfish, uh, philanderer, socialist, uh, mooched money off of everybody else, never wow. made any money himself. And, and people believe that he should have been friends of, of, of the Marx children in the community believe that he probably should have been tried for murder in, in that case. But in, in fact, he gave her poison. And, and as, as you probably saw too, Joe, in, in some of Marx's poetry, uh, poetry, diabolical poetry, poetry about the devil, including the, the one, The Pale Maiden, which sounds like a, you know, a late night B-movie horror flick, if you, if you read this thing. Uh, the Pale Maiden commits suicide by, by ingesting poison. So, you know, the, you know, so this kind of stuff, Marx talked about, he wrote about. In fact, the family members even talked about how their dad used to scare them by telling them about these, these, these awful stories. One of them, Hans Rokel, who was this, this little German craftsman, who magician, who made these little, little figurines. They said another, in fact, a whole bunch of people around Marx said that his favorite line, his favorite quote from anything. I mean, pause right here, Joe. If they ask me or you, right? Hey, do you have a favorite quote, favorite verse? You might say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, Old Testament, you know, New Testament, First Corinthians, whatever. Um, quote from a saint, right? Be not afraid. For Marx, it was a quote from Goethe's Faust. Wow. And, yeah, Faust, the Faustian bargain, and specifically from the character Mephistopheles, the devil, demon character. And that, and that favorite line was, Everything that exists deserves to perish, mm. right? Everything that exists to perish. So these people who say, oh, you know, why are you guys so hard on Marx? It's just this little old German guy in a <laughs> library who, who just was talking about people sharing wealth and about how bad factory conditions had become. No, Marx wanted to burn down the house. Yeah. Everything that exists deserves to perish. He had he had he had few to no friends. He lost almost all of his friends. He even almost lost Ingalls, um, who got so sick of Marx uh, getting money from him all the time. And he almost lost the only person he truly loved. Well, I would say he did love his kids. He almost lost uh, his wife Jenny when when he when he got the family nursemaid Lenchen pregnant behind oh, behind wow. Jenny's back. Yeah, and then of course. It refused to acknowledge that the child was his, refused to pay the, 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 the child a, a penny of child support. He refused to pay luncheon. Wow. Luncheon was lent to the family on loan by Jenny's, by Jenny's family. She had grown up with Jenny as like a sister. And Jenny's family said, said you know, we, we can't give you guys any more money. This is just wrong. This is wrong. You know, Carl it must make money. But, but both Carl's mom and wife said they wish that Carl would start earning capital rather than just writing about capital. <laughs> but but so, yeah, yeah. So they so they, they lent Jenny or they lent Lenchen to the Marx family. Marx refused to pay her any money and, and then got her pregnant. Robert Payne says that he that he thinks it's quite possible that Marx may have raped her. But wow. I, I don't know of anybody else who has said that. I have no idea if that's true, but at the least, this champion of the proletariat, right, didn't didn't pay her a dime, 
And when his wife wasn't looking, um, pinned Lynchon down and had sex with her and got her pregnant. That's wow. terrible. What about Angles? Uh, we never, we haven't heard anything about him. Is he uh, just a, like a sidekick? I, I never hear anything about him in general. It's always a focus on Marks. Why is that? And what can you tell us about Angles? Yeah, and Angles described Marks when he first saw him as the monster of ten thousand devils. Wow! Right? Imagine that. Imagine that. And Ingalls, Ingalls is, is a, a, kind of a much more sympathetic case. So he was a Christian. He was raised a Christian. And he was, he struggled. He struggled with the faith. There's some really touching diary entries and written statements from him where he's struggling to be a good boy, struggling to be faithful. And, and his father, who was a capitalist businessman, at one point sent Ingalls off to England to try to get him away from all these German socialists. Who were corrupting him, and and he he talked about being pulled in by this black man from Trier, right? This dark figure from Trier. That's that's Marx. He means black here in the sense of like dark, foreboding. So Engels got pulled in. He ended up becoming Marx's sidekick, and probably the only reason Marx didn't insult him and call him every name in the book was he needed Marx or he needed Engels in order to keep Marx and his family a roof over their heads and in order for Marx to have money. So Marx could sit around all day on his carbuncles and boils and, 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 and write. But he did almost lose Ingalls as a friend when Ingalls' live-in girlfriend, um, Ingalls, like so many of these early communists, and this would be a separate conversation, did not believe in marriage. So he refused to marry these poor women. And when one of them died unexpectedly, he was just crushed by it. And Marx wrote him a letter about four pages long in the first few sentences, opening paragraph, acknowledging Ingalls' loss, and then the more important issue of asking him for money. That's rough. And yeah, and Ingalls was so angry about this that that he wrote back this disagreeable letter. more sympathy than you. Can you repeat and, that and line? Because you just broke almost, up. You broke up. Can you repeat yeah, that line? Yeah, he, yeah. Ingalls wrote back saying to Marx, "Even my capitalist friends showed more sympathy than you." <laughs> oh, right? wow. that's pretty rough. And not an ounce of compassion from you. So he almost cut him off at that point, but he didn't. He hung in there, and Ingalls stayed with the Marx family long enough to take care of all of them give the eulogies at uh, Marx and Marx's wife, wife, wife's funerals where he quoted Darwin. And, and you know, that was, um, yeah, Ingalls is a sad case. He really is. Now, was Ingalls Catholic and left the faith, or was he Protestant and left the faith? N- neither one of them were, and neither, neither one of them was Catholic. And Marx, Marx's father, they, so he came from a long line of, um, he was Jewish, mm. and there were a number of rabbis in the family. And in fact, I was talking to, to my good friend, Michael Medved about this and Michael, Michael's an Orthodox Jew. Unfortunately, that is all we have time for today with this interview with Paul Kangor. But the good news is that if you want to hear more of Paul Kangor, we have a ton of material with him on our YouTube channel. Just go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT, and you can find the links to our other channels there on our CDT YouTube channel. We have a number of interviews 
all with Paul Kingor covering this in much more detail. But up next is an interview with Eric Sammons of Crisis Magazine. In fact, this interview goes back to whenever Eric Sammons was first hired on Crisis Magazine. And I got to say, we take credit for it. We take credit for it all because uh, we interviewed him right before he got hired there. So I think that means that we're responsible, I, I would say. And uh, back and throwing back to our co-host, Emily Alcaraz, was back on this episode as well. So you'll hear her voice again and we'll throw you into this interview with Eric Sammons right now. Yeah, rejoining the show is Eric Sammons, editor of Crisis Magazine. Good morning to you, Eric. Good morning. Uh, it's good to have you back on the program. I have to believe it was right after you were on our show that you got the gig over at Crisis. I think we're responsible for getting you that job. <laughs> I'm going to take credit for it anyway, publicly. Go ahead. Go ahead. Take yeah. credit. <laughs> but don't expect, like, a you know, compensation or anything. Oh, darn it. All right. Well, uh, congratulations to you. and uh, Thank you. And uh, hopefully uh, that's been going very well for you so far. It has. Yeah, praise God. There's a lot of stories over there that I thought we could comment on with you today. I want to start with your own article that you put, just published, Adapting to Our Brave New World, When to Compromise and When to Fight. We just had a conversation with my colleague Dave Palmer uh, about a story out of the University of Dallas, a professor who came under fire for making uh, comments about people who, uh, you know, are identify from a biological male identifying as a biological female. And there was a lot of backlash, and there was an effort to have him removed, and the university st uh, stood up to defend him. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. But one of the points I wanted to bring out and get you to comment on... Hold that thought, Joe. Ah, just kidding. We're not in studio. This is a pre-recorded show. And so we'll get to Joe's question right after this short break. Don't go anywhere. And while we're away, make sure you, you share this show with a friend, someone who you think will find this informative and inspiring. We'll be right back. From the University of Dallas and as seen on EWTN. What can I do that is the definite service that God wants me to give to the world? Think of the, the challenges that we have coming from our culture. We really need the virtue of courage. Are you ready to put yourself into the hazard? Are you ready to say yes to the call? Are you ready to be a witness to love? The Quest. All episodes streaming now at quest.udallas.edu. Hi, this is Walter Crawford with Homeschool Connections, a proud sponsor of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Please save the date for this year's The Catholic Homeschool Conference. It's virtual, so you can attend from the comfort of your own home or from an in-person watch party in your local community. It's Friday, June 10th and Saturday, June 11th. Our theme this year is empowering you to homeschool joyfully. May God continue to bless your homeschool journey. More information is available at catholichomeschoolconference.com. Men, it's time. The Men's March to End Abortion and Rally for Personhood is Saturday, June 11th, the weekend before Father's Day, from 12 to 3 p.m. in Tallahassee, Florida. Men gather at 12 p.m. for the march. All women, children, and families join us for the 2 p.m. rally at the Florida State Capitol. You are needed. Every life matters. Join us on June 11th in Tallahassee. For more information, go to themensmarch.com. Happy Memorial Day to you today. Here is our best of recordings, our interview with Eric Sammons. I'll throw you right back in. Comments about people who, uh, you know, are, identify from a biological male identifying as a biological female. 
And there was a lot of backlash, and there was an effort to have him removed, and the university st uh, stood up to defend him. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. But one of the points I wanted to bring out and get you to comment on, as Catholics, I think many of us are not going to be willing to fight those fights. I think we're more likely to go along to get along. Uh, what say you, Eric Sammons? I think that's true as well. I think the issue is we're in an interesting time in that most of us, or at least us or our parents, we grew up in a time where Catholicism was acceptable, at least basically. Uh, Christian values were acceptable. And so we got the habit of going along with the culture because the culture was basically not that bad. But I think we see an acceleration of, we, we've often called it a post-Christian culture. I think we've now moved into an anti-Christian culture. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so those instincts we have to go along with the culture, which we just grew up with, are now working against us. And so I think a lot of times, some, sometimes it's just people who might not be faithful, whatever. But I do think a lot of times it's simply people who don't really recognize how quickly things have changed. And so they don't realize that we're very much called to be countercultural. So in the case of University of Dallas, which my daughter went to, so I'm, go UD. Um, <laughs> in the case of University of Dallas, I, I commend them for seeing that Yes, okay, for a long time we could kind of go along and, and not really have a problem with the culture, but now they're asking us to change our values, to compromise our values, and in the case of UD, to say that uh, a man is a woman, and, and that would be compromising our faith. So I, I commend them for doing that. So I think, though, we have to break those instincts of going on with the culture and, and truly realize that to be Catholic today is to be truly countercultural. Yes, but Eric, doesn't that mean suffering? I mean, uh, uh, yeah, that, not, I'm trying to avoid that part. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's the bad news. Yeah, it does. I mean, it really does. But if you look at the history of Christianity, the fact is that many, many times in many cultures in history, Christians have had to suffer just to be Christian. I mean, it started like that. I mean, with the Roman Empire, the pagan Roman Empire. But we've seen it in 16th century England. We saw Catholics were persecuted. We saw it in uh, Soviet Union. We see it today in modern China. We're starting to, we see it, for example, in um, Saudi Arabia, places like that. And I think we're starting to see it more and more here, not on the level of somewhere like Saudi Arabia, of course, yet, but we're, it's increasing. And that does mean increase of suffering. Now, the good news of that, and I'm trust me, I'm one who wants to, who has a natural <laughs> inclination to avoid suffering. But the good news of that is, it does mean it's it's an opportunity for faithfulness. It's an opportunity to say, yes, I really do believe. I don't just believe because everybody else does. I don't just believe because my parents do. I don't just believe because my neighbors do. I believe even though all those other people don't. And even though it means I might lose my job, even though it means I might be ridiculed or, 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 or canceled or whatever. Uh, and, and so, yeah, th those are those are sufferings. And and there's a decent chance that those sufferings will increase not, rather than decrease over time, at least in the foreseeable future. But I think that's a great calling because, I mean, that's our faith. That What, what did our Lord have to do? I mean, he had to suffer in order to save us. And, and of course, on the other side of suffering is the resurrection. And that's what we look forward to. Eric Sammons is our guest. He's the editor of Crisis Magazine. We're having a conversation about adapting to a brave new world um, about his article, which we posted a link to at uh, facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time and the other uh, locations as well. 
Uh, real quick, we're going to have to take a break here in two minutes, Eric. But I really, how many Catholics do you think, Eric, have really stopped to ponder what they are willing to do and not do in the face of scrutiny uh, when it comes to the life issues, the marriage issues, gender issues, all of these sort of non-negotiables, as we call them, because they're intrinsic evil uh, nature. How many Catholics do you think have ever even stopped to think about, ponder, what will they be willing to suffer for? Uh, Eric Sammons. I think they, I think more and more are. Honestly, I think if you asked me that two or three years ago, I would say very few. Uh, it's probably still not a huge number, but I think it is increasing because we see it's creeping in on us. We see that it's more and more in, impacting our actual lives. It's, it's very easy to say that's other people. That's the, that's the Catholics in China or, or wherever where bad things are happening. Or even that's happening maybe in a city like Portland or New York or something like that. But it's not happening maybe, let's say you live in Kansas. It's not happening here or something like that. Well, it's it's coming in. It's coming into everybody. And so if they're not thinking about it, they need to start thinking about how, how will you respond. And the number one way you think about it is you pray about it. You pray mm -hmm. about it first so you have the strength when it does come into your life. Okay, so uh, I want to talk really quickly about the Regis Martin article, When Salvation is a Phone Call Away, uh, mostly because it references Fulton Sheen. And anytime we can do that, I think we have a moral obligation to do so. So uh, it, it, the article starts off, Regis starts off uh, sort of demonstrating how Fulton Sheen would call people of, in, in this case it was a journalist who was clearly needing some conversion. Uh, and uh, would call, meet personally, and try to win their soul for Christ, and was successful in many uh, instances, especially in the instance referenced in this article. Um, but then he begs the question, well, then why aren't we calling President Joe Biden and, and calling him to conversion? Or how about uh, any uh, politician who's Catholic but seems to contradict church teaching and, uh, and whatnot? So... How do we think? How do we begin to think about this as Catholics? Should we be uh, appalled that this doesn't happen more? Does it happen, and we don't know about it? Should we encourage our bishops to do this? Uh, Eric Sammons, what say you? I think we definitely should encourage our bishops to do this. I think one of the problems is is that we we see politicians as these entities that aren't really people. They're almost like robots up there that we either oppose or we support. And the problem is that that's not what they are. Joe Biden is a human soul destined to be united with God. That's, his, that's what he's supposed to be one day. Nancy Pelosi, the same thing. Praise be to God. That will conclude our interview with Eric Sammons from Crisis Magazine. It was a great interview. I thought so. What do you think? Let us know. You can let us know by going to grnonline.com forward slash CDT and contacting us there. But... Well, up next is an amazing interview with the man, the myth, the legend himself, Jesse Romero, on spiritual combat. What do we as lay people need to know, and why is it important today? It was a great interview with Jesse Romero. It's always a great interview with him, and you can check out that interview as long as as well as many of the other interviews that you're hearing today on our YouTube channel, Catholic Drive Time on YouTube. You can find the links at grnonline.com forward slash CDT. All this and more. And so, praise be to God, we're going to throw you into this interview with Jesse Romero right now. I saw the headline uh, on social media, click that, and then I got the article. It was an image of uh, a supposed demon standing over the crib of a, of a child on a, like a baby camera. 
and uh, and the and the grandmother who set the camera up was shocked by this uh, paranormal experience that she had, and she was asking for advice to get rid of the demon. She guess what she did, Jesse? She burned oils in her house, and I'm sure that worked mm. like a charm, right? You know, and it just it reminded me of uh, the need to be educated about the myths and misconceptions of of uh, spiritual combat. How many Catholics of us are out there, uh, we have like generational sins that we struggle with, addictions, uh, you know, we were Freemasons, we, we have all these things in our life that we've struggled with and we have no idea, we play with the occult all the time, we have no idea how, what to do about it and what's right, what's wrong. So I thought, let's invite Jesse Romero to clear all this up. What do you say, Jesse? Joe, I'm going to say, we'll have to go back to basics and what we as Catholics have to do to pr keep ourselves protected and our families protected, and our marriages protected from the diabolical, it's very simple, okay? There's, it's, it's called living in a state of sanctifying grace. The, the church has taught that for 2,000 years, from time immemorial. I mean, every one of us, we're all going to be tempted by the diabolical, every single one of us, even the Pope, okay? There's nobody that's exempt from what's called the ordinary temptation of the diabolical. However... The Bible's very clear. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 9, the first pope tells us, uh, you know, resist him firm in your faith. And James, uh, the, 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 uh, the book of James also says, resist the devil and he will flee. So you have two apostles, Peter and James. Both of us give us a positive mandate that we have to resist the devil and he will flee. Resist the devil firm in your faith. There's a key word. Joe, the problem is that many people in our country, many Catholics in our country, there's 70 million Catholics, they don't know their faith very well. Mm. So now, when, when, when the Bible's asking you to resist the devil in your faith, if you don't know your faith, if you're not well-formed in your faith, if you're not well-catechized in your faith, if you don't have a relationship with God, if you don't have a prayer life, you can't resist because you don't have the tools to resist. There's the problem. So a lot of Catholics end up saying, oh, no, things are happening in my house and my family, pure natural activity. So they're not firm in their faith. They run to the curandera. They run to the healer. They run to the psychic. They run to the occult shop. They run to the botanica. They run to the sorcerers. They run to the wizards, the witches. And that's what gets them into more trouble. Wait one second there, and we'll be right back with more of Catholic Drive Time, more of Jesse Romero, just after this break. Don't go anywhere. Share us with a friend while we're away, and we'll have more of this Memorial Day special, our best of shows from Catholic Drive Time. Let us know what you think. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT, and make sure to share this with a friend, and we'll see you right after this break. Looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium? Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the University of Dallas offers an exceptional liberal arts education, preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for the world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. Men, it's time. 
The Men's March to End Abortion and Rally for Personhood is Saturday, June 11th, the weekend before Father's Day, from 12 to 3 p.m. in Tallahassee, Florida. Men gather at 12 p.m. for the march. All women, children, and families join us for the 2 p.m. rally at the Florida State Capitol. You are needed. Every life matters. Join us on June 11th in Tallahassee. For more information, go to themensmarch.com. Hi, this is Walter Crawford with Homeschool Connections, a proud sponsor of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Please save the date for this year's The Catholic Homeschool Conference. It's virtual, so you can attend from the comfort of your own home or from an in-person watch party in your local community. It's Friday, June 10th and Saturday, June 11th. Our theme this year is empowering you to homeschool joyfully. May God continue to bless your homeschool journey. More information is available at catholichomeschoolconference.com. Christ, we are back with more of Jesse Romero on this Memorial Day. It's a best of recording, and we'll throw you in Let's right now. End up saying, "Oh no, things are happening in my house and my family through an actual activity." So they're not firm in their faith. They run to the curandera. They run to the healer. They run to the psychic. They run to the occult shop. They run to the botanica. They run to the sorcerers. They run to the wizards, the witches, and that's what gets them into more trouble. You know. I mentioned before we went to the break in our last What's Concerning Us section, there's an article about how cartels were using wristbands to track who's paid and who is not paid uh, to get them over the border. And I was thinking about the border crisis and how these, these the, the, the cult practices in Mexico have been on the increase in a dramatic way. Uh, I know you've written about this a, a bit in your book. Can you tell us about that, uh, the sort of the culture amongst uh, those immigrants coming across the border that are experiencing the occult in their life? Judge, uh, Mexico, just like the United States of America, like most countries, Mexico, when it was under the hands of the Aztecs, the Aztecs practiced a diabolical religion. They worshiped demons. As it says in Psalm 95, it says, uh, the gods of the Gentiles are demons. Now, Mexico was taken over by the by Our Lady of Guadalupe in 1531. She snatched Mexico from the diabolical. And so the devil has never forgot that, that incredible loss that he suffered. And so one of the things that's happened in Mexico is called incrementalism. The fact is, most Mexican Catholics have never been really catechized. They've been sacramentalized. They've been brought to the waters of baptism. They've been brought to the church as babies. But a lot of Mexicans, like in most other countries, they haven't been well catechized, well formed. And so right around the 60s, the devil's never forgiven uh, Mexico uh, for, for basically losing Mexico to Our Lady of Guadalupe and, and giving over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in the 60s, what happened is the nefarious Mexican cartels, they started their own religion called the Santa Muerte, which is the worship of Satan. And the cartels started this religion because they believe that worshiping La Santa Muerte, who's the devil, the US, the Mexican bishops have clearly said it, they've identified who it is, they believe that this uh, Santa Muerte protects them from law enforcement protects them from their enemies, protects them from their from bullets and makes them invisible. You'll find every person in every culture, it doesn't matter whether it's in Mexico or Ireland or anywhere else, 
everybody that's that gravitates and is given over to the occult is always attracted by power, fame, sex, and money. Yeah, that's crazy. Absolutely insane. Now, let's talk about deliverance uh, and tie this all in. So I think there's a lot of misconceptions about deliverance prayers, and I think a lot of uh, Catholics might be getting some, let's just, I don't want to say tainted, but information that's a little bit off, and it could lead to great trouble. What is deliverance prayers, and, and um, what should we know or not know about it? We've got about a minute before we go to break. We'll come back after, though. Well, what I would call, I call deliverance prayers, they're, they're using like a military term, Deliverance prayers are like heavy artillery military weapons. That's what they are. Uh, deliverance prayers, they, they, were, they were invented to focus on the ability, you know, to breach defensive walls and fortifications during sieges. And so these, these heavy artillery weapons that we call deliverance prayers, they have a high flash radius. They can be seen by far away by the diabolical. So Catholic deliverance prayers have a high flash radius it's dangerous to use these prayers if you're if you're not in a state of grace, if you're in mortal sin. And I'll tell you why after the break. I know we talked about demonic influence in Mexican culture, but I really think it's seeping very deeply into American culture as well. Like, I've walked through, yes, the Hispanic barrios, and you see the botanicas on every street. But also, look at every public event we have, the Oscars, the Grammys, the Super Bowl halftime show. I mean, Tom Brady's wife herself calls herself a witch and says the reason Tom Brady wins all the time is because she does all these rituals on him before he goes to his games. So... Jesse Romero, I, could you finish your point that you were talking about deliverance? Because this is really something that is so important today in our culture. As Catholics, uh, probably the most uh, important or famous deliverance prayer or most popular deliverance prayer is the Our Father. That was given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Pope Benedict in a homily you know, 15 years ago said that the Our Father is, is a minor exorcism prayer. He said that in a homily. And look at the way that the Our Father ends. Deliver us from evil. When, when you, the catechism actually says, it says about that phrase, it says, deliver us from evil is a direct reference to Satan or the devil. It's right in the catechism. So the, we're actually, the, the Our Father, when we end it, we're actually saying, deliver us from the evil one. Ma many Greek manuscripts actually have that uh, in, in, in many of the older Greek manuscripts uh, in, in, uh, in the New Testament. And so the Our Father was taught to us by our Lord Jesus Christ, He's asking us to what? Petition God the Father to give us this day our daily bread. What's the daily bread to fight uh, against the diabolical? The Eucharist. The, the word daily bread in Greek is epiousion, which means give us this day our super essential bread. Right? It's right in the catechism. Or give us this day our supernatural bread. So our Lord Jesus taught us to ask God the Father to give us the Eucharist, the, the, the daily bread, the Eucharist, to deliver us from the devil. The Our Father is a deliverance prayer. Uh, the church has given us many prayers, and these prayers are prayers that protect us from the diabolical. They, they, they put a defensive perimeter around our house. They put a defensive perimeter around our marriage. They put a defensive perimeter around us. Another famous prayer, the St. Michael the Archangel prayer given to us by Pope Leo XIII. That's another famous prayer. Uh, deliverance prayer that's supposed to be used by Catholics throughout the day. And most especially today in the Feast of St. Patrick, you know, pray for us. St. Patrick, um, he was a missionary to Ireland. He, he was a bishop. And his goal was to bring Christianity to Ireland. 
Now, Ireland at that time, it was, it, there was this ancient Celtic religion that was practiced, and, and the spiritual leaders were called druids. They were like sorcerers or, you know, wizards and, and witch doctors and shamans. Well, and, and, and also this, the druids, they depicted their, the symbol of the druids was the snake. And so St. Patrick, he composes very powerful exorcism prayer. It's called the lorica. The lorica is basically a Latin word, which means the armor or the breastplate. And it's a prayer that he composed against sorcerers and witches. That prayer is still used right now by Catholic exorcists around the world during solemn sessions. And by the way, that prayer is also approved for lay Catholics to be praying. It's called also the breastplate of St. Patrick. Uh, and it's a prayer specifically uh, prayed against witches and witchcraft and curses and hexes. Uh, Jesse, uh, the, I find this to be incredibly important in our times, uh, especially the breastplate of St. Patrick, because a couple years ago, we just passed the anniversary, actually, of the Black Mass that was said in Houston, Texas. And when that happened, uh, me and a few friends from our uh, fraternity parish uh, got together, and uh, we all went out during the day, in the midday, to uh, pray for reparation outside of the uh, satanic, uh, where the satanic mass was happening that night. But me and a, and a few friends came back at that at that night, um, whenever the actual black mass was happening, to pray outside. And before going, we all got together. We went to our priest and asked him to bless us. Uh, he blessed us. We prayed the prayer of St. Patrick's uh, breastplate, did a perimeter prayer from Father Ripperger's uh, For Use by the Laity, and we went out there to pray against uh, these evil forces. And I found it absolutely amazing to see the uh, the effects that prayer has. We had a number of people who came over to heckle us, and they would just uh, uh, leave all of a sudden. They just like uh, go over to heckle us, and then decided to just walk away. Um, and it was really amazing to see how the uh, the how this works today, and how necessary it is today. We th we think of these things in pagan culture, but we live in a pagan culture today. Can you speak on how these prayers can still be useful, not just in St. Patrick's time, but in our own? Absolutely. Let me let me give you three three ways that prayers are powerful. I've seen this time and time again. This is the theology of prayer. Number one, prayer's powerful when you're in a state of grace. Okay, we call that the James five sixteen principle. If you're in a state of grace, it says the prayers of a righteous person have much power. Your prayers are efficacious; they have merit when you're in a state of grace. If you're not in a state of grace, the Bible is very clear. It says God will not hear the, the prayers of an evil person. Uh, John 9.31, it says that God will not hear the prayers of a wicked person. So it's very clear that your relationship with God has everything to do with the power of your prayer, the efficacy of your prayer. Okay. Number two, prayer is powerful also. It's most powerful when it's prayed from a position of authority. For example, a father praying for his wife, wife praying for the husband. A father praying for the children, wife praying for the children. Priests praying for the congregation. Uh, so when prayers are done from a position of authority, a sibling praying for another sibling, prayers are very powerful when they're done from a position of authority. You see that, for example, all over the New Testament. Uh, you'll have moms in, and, and, and the centurions going up to our Lord Jesus Christ they have positions of authority. Lord, my slave is sick as home. My servant, I know you can heal him. Lord, my daughter's possessed by a demon. Lord, Lord, please, you can heal her. Notice the position of authority. When you have authority over the person you're asking God to heal 
or bless or deliver, it's very powerful, having a position of authority, number two. Number three, the third way your, your prayer is very powerful, it has to be very specific. It's called intentionality. It's called the Matthew 7, 7 principle. Ask and you'll receive. Notice the most effective prayers of the New Testament. Lord, my daughter's possessed by a demon. Lord, can you heal my daughter from this demonic possession? Notice that the woman's in a state of grace. The woman has a position of authority over her child. And the woman is very specific with her prayer. You look at study all the prayers in, in the scriptures and you'll see this is the, 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 this is the, the trifecta. This is the way prayers are most powerful. And once again, deliverance prayers are very effective. Precision in prayers is what makes them very efficacious. In fact, that's why, for example, in Father Chad Ripperger's book, uh, Deliverance Prayers for Lady, he's, his prayers are very effective. Why? Well, read them. Very specific prayer against Freemasonry, uh, you know, prayer for temptations, prayer for overcoming addictions. It's very specific in prayer. And number, number, a second, another point very important, a PS, is deliverance prayer is very important when you pray for your... Prayer for who? Oh my goodness, you're going to have to wait until after this short break to hear what exactly that Jesse Romero was talking about right there. And we'll be right back just after this short break. Make sure to share us with a friend while we're away. Happy Memorial Day to you, and we'll see you in just one moment. Eve Gambo is a real Guadalupe radio listener. To help her explain the impact that Catholic radio has had on her life, we had Rocky come in and help her tell her story. Before I was able to listen to Catholic radio, I would listen to other Christian radio stations just because there was no Catholic radio. Hey, you know, Mickey always tells me, you know, Catholic radio, you know, it's kind of like having an angel on your shoulder. Those other stations were okay, but I always felt like something was missing. Catholic radio is a huge blessing because it shares the full truth. Well, it was like a wake-up call, kind of like getting punched with an uppercut, only with the truth. Please, if you have not made a pledge of support to keep Guadalupe Radio on the air, do it now. And if you have made a pledge, please fulfill that pledge. I want to make sure that I always have my Catholic radio station. Yeah, make sure you send in your pledge. You know, you can do so by going to grnonline.com or 888-784-3476. Hi, this is Walter Crawford with Homeschool Connections, a proud sponsor of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Please save the date for this year's The Catholic Homeschool Conference. It's virtual, so you can attend from the comfort of your own home or from an in-person watch party in your local community. It's Friday, June 10th and Saturday, June 11th. Our theme this year is empowering you to homeschool joyfully. May God continue to bless your homeschool journey. More information is available at catholichomeschoolconference.com. Men, it's time. Moral relativism is growing and the soul of our nation is at stake. Nowhere is it more manifestly obvious than with the daily ongoing mass murder of abortion. As leaders, protectors, and providers, we must go first. In facing reality, taking responsibility, repenting for what we've done and haven't done, and resolving to do more. The opportunity is before us on Saturday, June 11th, the weekend before Father's Day in Tallahassee, Florida. We'll be gathering at 12 p.m. and embarking on a four-mile march of prayer and sacrifice that will culminate in a 2 p.m. rally at the Florida State Capitol. 
We welcome all women, children, and families to join us in standing up for the personhood of the preborn at the 2 p.m. rally. We're also hoping Governor Ron DeSantis will join us and assure us that he will lead on life. Join us. Hi, I'm Father Preston Cantella from Our Lady of Perpetual Help in Sweeney and St. John the Apostle in West Columbia. You're listening to the AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. We're so glad to have you here today on this Memorial Day weekend. Which is, I guess, a Monday, so not the weekend anymore. Hope you had a great Memorial Day weekend, though. We have our best of show today. We got Jesse Romero, going to finish out that interview right here. And praise be to God, we'll be back in the studio tomorrow morning for our regularly scheduled programming. But stay tuned, because Jesse Romero is about to tell you something amazing about spiritual warfare. He's, his prayers are very effective. Why? We'll read them. Very specific prayer against Freemasonry, uh, you know, prayer for temptations, prayer for overcoming addictions. It's very specific in prayer. And number, number, a second, another point, very important, a PS, is deliverance prayer is very important when you pray it for yourself. Every one of us has a hundred percent authority when it comes to self-deliverance. Every one of us has 100% authority over our intellect and will in relation to self. So prayers that you pray, deliverance prayers for yourself and healing prayers, are very, very powerful because you have 100% authority in relation to self. Jesse Romero is our guest, and we only have a couple of minutes left with him. And I want to really quickly turn to sacramentals, Jesse. Uh, so Deliverance Prayers and Father Ripperger's book probably one of the best resources around for that. Maybe we can post a link to that, uh, Adrian. Uh, but uh, let's turn to sacramentals, the use of sacramentals, especially as a dad, as a husband and a father of my home. I count on uh, exercise salt and and, uh, and epiphany water, and, and you know, the, we play, the, obviously we have our uh, scapulars, on all of that talk to that you got a couple minutes on the clock yeah uh sacramentals are given to us by holy mother church they what they do is they give us signal grace or they give us actual grace okay they're different from sacraments sacraments give you sanctifying grace that's the grace that you need to be saved to get to heaven in your soul actual grace comes from sacramentals give you for example it gives you a signal grace, actual grace in a moment of temptation, in a moment of, uh, of trial, in a moment where you're be basically put to the test. And so the sacramentals, they're not superstition. They've been blessed by the church. And so their efficacy comes from the prayers of the church. And once again, sacramentals, if I'll give you just an analogy. The Bible calls all of us, the baptized, soldiers of Christ, male and female, you're all soldiers of Jesus Christ. Well, what are sacramentals that you put around your neck and that you carry in your body? Those are like dog tags for the soldier. Those are Christian dog tags. But the Christian dog tags, they actually do something because our Catholic dog tags called sacramentals, they actually continually project actual graces. And again, it helps us during the time of temptation. 
and a time of trial. It's not superstition. It gives you actual grace. Praise be to God. Thank you very much to Jesse Romero for that amazing interview, as always, with Jesse Romero. But right now, I'm going to be sharing with you a little meditation or a little thing that Joe McClain put together about Father Capadano. If you heard it in the first hour, well, you got to hear it a second time. Because it's a short little thing about a great priest to be remembering on this Memorial Day because he was, in fact, a Marine. So praise be to God. And you'll hear all about his life in right now. But today is the day we remember those who have given their lives in the ultimate sacrifice of our country. And I want to give you someone to consider, someone to think about, someone to to pray about, right? Okay, have you heard of Father Vincent Cappadano? Now, Father Vincent Cappadano was a Marian old priest. He was uh, well-loved and respected. He served in Thailand in the mission field. He also got sent to a school in Hong Kong, which he didn't love as much because it was clean, it was nice. It wasn't as dirty and grungy and difficult as he liked in the mountains of Thailand. So he obtained permission to join the Navy and become a chaplain. And he was given that permission, and he went to Vietnam and served alongside the U.S. Marine Corps, the Marines fighting the battles. He was so loved by the Marines that they affectionately called him the Grunt Padre. And he was very present to them in their difficulties, and he did not shirk his responsibility to be present even amongst the most difficult and dangerous times. And in 1967, he was there with his Marines under a very difficult and arduous six-hour battle, where he would move from foxhole to foxhole, assisting those that were dying. In fact, uh, when, they, when they launched chemical weapons on the battlefield, he would give his own gas mask to Marines so that they could survive the day. He, he himself was wounded, and he never stopped administering last rites, carrying the dying and the, and the wounded back to, uh, to where they could get help. And, and today I want to read for you the Medal of Honor citation that was awarded to him posthumously. And I think it'll be very telling about the character of the man, a priest, a Catholic priest, who was never afraid of dying because there were souls to be saved and something that he could do, even in the midst of something so chaotic as the battlefield. Here's the Medal of Honor citation for Father Vincent Capadano. For conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity, at the risk of his life, above and beyond the call of duty as chaplain of the 3rd Battalion, in connection with the operations against enemy forces, in response to reports that the 2nd Platoon of M Company was in danger of being overrun by a massed enemy assaulting force, Lieutenant Capadano left the relative safety of the company command post and ran through an open area raked with fire directly to the beleaguered platoon. Disregarding the intense enemy small arms and automatic weapons and mortar fire, he moved about the battlefield, administering last rites to the dying and giving medical aid to the wounded. When an exploding mortar round inflicted painful multiple wounds to his arms and legs and severed a portion of his right hand, he steadfastly refused all medical aid. Instead, he directed the corpsmen to help their wounded comrades and with calm vigor continued to move about the battlefield as he provided encouragement by voice and example to the valiant Marines. 
Upon encountering a wounded corpsman in the direct line of fire of an enemy machine gunner positioned approximately 15 yards away, Lieutenant Vincent Capadano rushed a daring attempt to aid and assist the mortally wounded corpsman. At that instant, only inches from his goal, he was struck down by a burst of machine gun fire. By his heroic conduct on the battlefield and inspiring example, Lieutenant Capadano upheld the finest traditions of the U.S. Naval Service. He gallantly gave his life in the cause of freedom. Father Vincent Capadano, pray for us. Wow, what an amazing story. And speaking of amazing stories, we have more amazing stories right after this short break, so don't go anywhere. And if you have some, you need something to do during this break, well, why don't you share us with a friend? Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT to find all the information about the show. And we'll be back tomorrow with our regularly scheduled programming. So we'll see you then. And happy Memorial Day. Looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium? Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the University of Dallas offers an exceptional liberal arts education, preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for the world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. Men, it's time. The Men's March to End Abortion and Rally for Personhood is Saturday, June 11th, the weekend before Father's Day, from 12 to 3 p.m. in Tallahassee, Florida. Men gather at 12 p.m. for the march. All women, children, and families join us for the 2 p.m. rally at the Florida State Capitol. You are needed. Every life matters. Join us on June 11th in Tallahassee. For more information, go to themensmarch.com. Hi, this is Walter Crawford with Homeschool Connections, a proud sponsor of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Please save the date for this year's The Catholic Homeschool Conference. It's virtual, so you can attend from the comfort of your own home or from an in-person watch party in your local community. It's Friday, June 10th and Saturday, June 11th. Our theme this year is empowering you to homeschool joyfully. May God continue to bless your homeschool journey. More information is available at catholichomeschoolconference.com. Back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your producer, Adrian Fonseca. And today we have our best of shows. So we have some amazing interviews going on from our past. So you hear some familiar voices in some of these interviews that you may have not have heard in a little while. But this next interview, and the last one for today, because tomorrow we're going to have our regularly scheduled programming right back here. So praise be to God for that. But right now, I'm going to, going to be throwing you into an interview about the Mass of the Ages. And they just came out with a part two. So get, get, getting a throwback from the Mass of the Ages 2, we're going to throw you back to the interview we did whenever the movie was first announced. And we were talking about this movie, talking about why it was made, what was the whole inspiration behind this to begin with. And you might remember, remember this and say, hey, maybe I should go watch the first episode before going out and seeing Mass of the Ages 2. I think that would be a great idea. And so me and my family watched it whenever the second one came out and we watched the first one. 
And we were blown away. And I can't wait until they release part three. But without further ado, let me throw you into that interview right now. Cameron O'Hearn is on to talk about the Mass of the Ages. What is the Mass of the Ages? That is the traditional Latin Mass. Have you ever heard of it? Why should you care about it? This and much more about the documentary film on the Latin Mass. Back in the day, they used to say the Tridentine Mass. That was another term that got thrown around quite a bit. Especially in light of the motto proprio that His Holiness Pope. Francis has recently issued. So I want to dive into some of that stuff, but let's back up a little bit and start with what is this project, The Mass of the Ages, and why have you felt called to uh, to get involved? I have a strong devotion to Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament, and that was formed in me in high school on a retreat, just an amazing experience during Eucharistic Adoration. And, you know, Many of us go to Eucharistic Adoration. Uh, when we go, it's us and, you know, one old lady there <laughs> worshiping Jesus. Ouch. That poor old lady. Why does <laughs> she like to tease like that? <laughs> uh, old ladies like that are holding the church together. I'm telling you, uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> when I found the Latin Mass, which was about nine years ago, I found a home for that devotion. And what I mean by that is in adoration, we worship the blessed sacrament. We, we can put our faces in the dust and adore him. And in the Latin mass, I saw priests just the way the mass is um, offered the rubrics and everything. Hmm. There is so much reverence towards the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Uh, For example, before and after each time the priest touches the blessed sacrament he has to genuflect. Mm. And so it was all those things that just wowed me. And when that Pew study came out, uh, 2019, 2019, that said that 70% of Catholics don't believe in the real presence. And what was more shocking to me was that of regular mass going Catholics, Sunday mass going weekly going Catholics, only 60% of them believed. Hmm. So four out of 10 Catholics in the pews each Sunday just don't believe. And I think it, it boils down to an ancient phrase, lex orandi, lex credendi, which means the law of prayer is the law of belief. Hmm. And I just want to introduce the Catholic world to the Latin mass. And that's what we're trying to do. We're not making something for, people who already attend the Latin mass, but it's people who have never heard of it. You know, most people think the Latin mass is just the new mass translate, but in Latin, but it, it is so different and unique um, and beautiful. And I just want to introduce the world to it. You know, it's interesting. um, Talk about, you know, sort of how these uh, seeds get planted in your heart and how they attract you. And, you know, I myself uh, only started going full time to the TLM, you know, a little over a year ago, uh, my journey has been uh, quite interesting. But w- on one part of the journey, many, many years ago, well before I ever went to uh, uh, Latin Mass, um, I remember encountering, it was at a Novus Ordo, and for the first time, I saw the priest so, he was so particular, so precise in the way he purified the vessels after Mass. And this was a Novus Ordo priest, a religious priest. And uh, I-, I remember that catching me off guard and just seeing that going 
Wow, look at how intentional he is being at ensuring that there's not a speck left yeah. uh, behind and keeping his, uh, his, his forefinger and thumbs together until he could purify them. I mean, just the intentionality. And that was at an Obersoto uh, Mass, and I was really blown away by that. That spoke to me about what that priest believed about the presence of Christ in the Eucharist. I think that's what you're getting at, too. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we... We believe that every particle is the king of the universe. <laughs> the king of the and universe. If we believe that, there's a certain way we should act, right? Right. In, in receiving Jesus. And um, there was actually a study that came out uh, by a priest who is also, I believe, a chemist. He actually did um, a detailed study of communion um, in the hand. And I'm not... I'm not here to condemn people who receive in the hand. There's holier people than myself who receive communion in the hand. Uh, it's not, you can't delineate good Catholics from bad Catholics that easily. Um, but, but there was a study done <clears throat> that showed that on average, so he had a, a study of, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, uh, the, an unconsecrated host was placed in a hand and then placed in a tray. And they did that, you know, and inspected. They had multiple eyewitnesses to see if any particles were left over. This, these are just the visible particles. And they found that, on average, one out of every communion, there's one particle from every communion, on average, that is uh, lost. Wow. Uh, if care is not being taken. Mm. And um, I was taught, so I, I received communion on the hand when I was young. And I was taught, you know, to very reverently place my hands to receive and then to check for particles. But as I started to, as I grew up and started to go to more parishes, I didn't see people do that. They just receive in the hand and go. Yeah. And my heart broke because, oh my goodness, what, what does that say about yeah. what we believe about the real presence? What yeah. does that say to our kids? You right. know, kids from the, the, from their youngest ages up to maybe age seven or eight or nine, they learn by what they see. Mm. And th they don't learn because of the homily the priest gave. He, he can be the best homily giver in the world, but that's not how our kids learn. Hold that they thought. Learn, you know, uh, one thing I love about uh, the Latin Mass that's so moving to me is the moment of receiving communion because up to this point there's this barrier there's a separation there's this mystery you know this altar rail and then the priest is doing a lot of things that are in silence that i can't i can't see everything he's doing and like i mentioned before the reverence towards the blessed sacrament but then me and my family come up and we kneel and it's like heaven overflows into earth <laughs> and i get to receive heaven into me and uh, I, I, I believe a lot of those, a lot of the teaching of the church is lost when we, we can't see the yeah. Catholic faith in action in that way. You know, the, uh, yeah. I had, a, you know, there, I was, I've been keeping up with the film since the very beginning. I was an early donor of the film, Truth in Advertising, and I was, cause I was blown away with the concept and the idea here. You've got to interview a lot of very interesting people, and you got to attend the most beautiful masses. I've never even been to a pontifical high mass, and I've seen photos of pontifical high masses, and it looks gorgeous. That's a mass with a, with a bishop, and uh, 
what exactly have you learned about the Latin Mass by start by do working on this documentary? I think the the most surprising thing. So when you're on the internet and you look into the Latin Mass, you're bound to find angry people. <laughs> what? Come now. The, <laughs> I said, really? Just look at any comment section. <laughs> Of almost any, or just simply video. Twitter could be an option. <laughs> yeah, I mean all of uh, Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. Um, so th- that's what you expect. You you travel to all these parishes. You expect a lot of angry people. That is not what I found. I found that the vast majority of people, so the vast majority, ninety five, ninety nine percent, they go to Latin Mass just because they want the fullness of the Catholic faith. They don't go to the Latin Mass because they're rejecting something. Go to, they go to the Latin Mass because they just want the best for their family. They, they want yeah. Catholicism on full display. Yeah. Yeah. Now, okay. So let's be truth and advertise. How about truth and advertising? The rad trad thing is real. Okay. Uh, there is definitely a mad trad, a rad trad uh, problem um, uh, amongst traditional communities. However, as you just said, and has been my experience in my family. Um, sort of myths and misconceptions of what traditional communities are like simply aren't true. Um, they're joyful, uh, faith-filled. You love the you love the sound of crying babies everywhere. <laughs> um, you know uh, the the beautiful liturgies, the uh, the embrace of the traditions of the church, as though we 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 love them, as though we we believe in them, as though they matter, as though they make a difference. I, that's all made a big difference uh, for for my family in particular. But let's talk about. I want to get into the moto proprio. We have about I don't know uh, seven minutes, eight minutes or so uh, at this point. Um, real quick, but let's talk about the films. There's three films. What are the release dates? What are you looking at uh, putting this out? I want to get through that, and then I want to dive into your your opinion on uh, Pope Francis's moto proprio. Yeah, what what kind of timing there is, you know, in Providence. So three years ago, the, I was sitting in the Adoration Chapel, like I mentioned, and here today, we are a month away from release, and this Moto Proprio comes out, which of you're course welcome, I by didn't the way. know about. I mean, you're welcome. I mean, now your film's going to like probably get a lot more viewers, right? That's Hopefully. Like, it's like, Lord. did you coordinate this with the Vatican? I'm just curious. Uh, <laughs> I know. It's like you well, could have wished for something God's better. at work. Jesus is king. Um <laughs> The first film comes out August 15th, The Feast of the Assumption. Uh, that is the premiere. So the way you can watch that is to go to theliturgy.org and get on our mailing list because we're going to have a live premiere. And uh, that's the only way you can watch that premiere as of now. The second film, uh, so the first, this is important to know too. The first film is a beautiful introduction to the Latin Mass it's going to be really helpful, really inspiring. The second film then gets into the new mass. And again, it's winsome, but it's, uh, it, it, it shows you the facts. It, it's a surprising investigation into how the new mass came about. A lot of Catholics believe the new mass just rolled off the shelf at Vatican II, but we show that there's actually an interim period, a, an implementation of Vatican II. The third film will come out next year, TBD, and this film will get into the Moto Proprio and uh, how the new, how the Latin Mass kind of came back into uh, the four. So you've not shot the third film then? You're still working on that? 
No, actually, most of the footage is is already wrapped for all three films. Um, there is a lot of animation and editing that has to take place. Mm. But with the third film in particular, we want to wait to see how things play out. Yeah, um, we, we want to see what is the waterfall that happens um, after the motu proprio, and that's going to take time. And so uh, we want to deal with it carefully and seriously. Cameron O'Hearn is our guest director and producer of The Mass of the Ages, a trilogy of films, as he just said. By the way, you should check them out uh, on the website, theliturgy.org. There's a trailer there. It's quite beautiful, uh, and I encourage you to check that out at theliturgy.org. Five minutes to go in our conversation with you. Uh, I, okay, so let's dive into the motto proprio. Now, part of... Part of the, 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 the comments of His Holiness, Pope Francis, uh, when he issued this motto proprio, um, was uh, he really feels like there's a, there's a division happening as a result to the traditional Latin Mass and the communities around the world that embrace the, the TLM. Uh, there is uh, sort of an anti-Vatican II sentiment uh, that's involved there. Um, so let's just get to those things uh, with the limited time we have left. Are, do you hate Vatican II? Are you out to divide the Church by promoting the traditional Mass? What are your intentions, good sir? The Holy Father is my father. <laughs> I, I, we have unity under the Holy Father. And when this motu proprio came out, I felt like my father was disciplining me for something I didn't do. <laughs> and I think a lot of Catholics feel that who attend the Latin Mass, because like I said earlier, the vast majority of Catholics aren't these rad, bitter trads, um, as they're called. Uh, they just, and they don't reject Vatican II. They just reject the implementation of Vatican II. Mm. And it's not so much that they reject something, like they, that they're just always talking about the new mass or anything like that. They just love their kids seeing uh, Catholicism on full display, like I mentioned earlier. So I do not hate, reject Vatican II. What about the new mass? Do you, uh, do you hate the new mass? Do you think it's uh, I think I think illicit? the new mass... Uh, We'd have to get into a lot of distinctions, but I think that's where you define. You've got three that's minutes. Where you find a lot of disunity, actually. You find, based on what parish you go to, a very different-looking mass. Um, there can be s radical differences from parishes that are across the street from each other. Mm. And I find unity in the Latin mass. I think Benedict XVI made a wise diplomatic move to to have both of these masses live side by side so they could enrich the other so that they could you know the new mass could could appropriate the sacredness of the latin mass um which which it lost unfortunately through its implementation i hope someday the new mass can get to a point where it's very reverent and sacred and the priest is facing the altar and you know communion is distributed reverently and all that but as of now, that's not what you typically find at most Novus Ordo Masses. But you can. That's, I know I've experienced it on many occasions. Yeah. But to, to you, and to there are point, really holy priests. Yes. And, the and to your point, Ordo there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of craziness that goes on. Yesterday, we had a conversation with a guest about a Hindu rite uh, version of the Novus Ordo that I was unaware of that incorporates actual uh, Hindu language into into the, uh, the the mass. This that's a horrible tragedy. Um, and uh, and where is where's the effort to clean up all of that in this? That's part of the the question. But with the about a minute left to go, minute and a half left to go. 
Um, do you have, uh, there's a lot of people who are reacting very negatively to the moto proprio, but then there's some that have some hope and, and uh, joy for the future. Where do you land in that perspective? I don't know yet. <laughs> I think it's so, so early. Um, I'm just hurt by it and confused. But I, I always have hope in the Lord. I always have hope in Jesus, who is the king on an unshakable throne. He's going to he's figuring this out. This is his way of, you know, here's my hope. I hope that the Nova Sordo mass takes a quantum leap forward mm. in reverence. And just Amen. if there's priests who want to celebrate the Latin mass, but they can only celebrate a new mass, do it facing the altar. Embrace the rubrics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do the red, say the black, or however yes. it goes. You know. Anyway, we're out of time. Praise be to God. That was an amazing interview with Cameron O'Hearn. And the part two of that movie is out right now. So you heard about part one. And part two is out. So you can go and watch it right now. Go to latinmass.com forward slash watch. If you go there, latinmass.com forward slash watch, you can watch both the part one and part two at the same time. It'll be a great time. I know my family, we all enjoyed both parts, and we're looking forward to part three. But anyway, that will be the conclusion of today's show on this Memorial Day weekend. And we'll be back with our regularly scheduled programming tomorrow morning at our same time, same place. And I know you probably missed the game show, but don't worry. What that means is that you are going to have even greater odds of winning this week because there's three less chances. And that means greater odds for you. So make sure to call in tomorrow morning for the game show. But God bless you. God love you. Make sure to pray for those souls of the faithfully departed today, especially those who died in defense of our country on this Memorial Day. God love you. God bless you. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And we'd be grateful if you shared us with a friend. We'll see you then. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today we celebrate Monday of the seventh week of Easter. The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. Come Holy Ghost, Creator blessed, and in our hearts take up thy rest. Come with thy grace and heavenly aid to fill the hearts which thou hast made, to fill the hearts which thou hast made. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. 
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all and with your spirit. My brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord, our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Let us pray. May the power of the Holy Spirit come to us, we pray, O Lord, that we may keep your will faithfully in mind and express it in a devout way of life. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior of the country and down to Ephesus where he found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? They answered him, We have never even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. He said, How were you baptized? And they replied, With the baptism of John. Paul then said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were about twelve men. He entered the synagogue and for three months debated boldly with persuasive arguments about the kingdom of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. God arises, his enemies are scattered, and those who hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so are they driven, as wax melts before the fire. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. But the just rejoice and exult before God. They are glad and rejoice. Sing to God, chant praise to his name, whose name is the Lord. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. The father of orphans and the defender of widows is God in his holy place. God gives a home to the forsaken. He leads forth prisoners to prosperity. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. If then you were raised with Christ, seek what is above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Alleluia. Alleluia. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. 
A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. The disciples said to Jesus, Now you are talking plainly and not in any figure of speech. Now we realize that you know everything and that you do not need to have anyone question you. Because of this, we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you believe now? Behold, the hour is coming and has arrived when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. But I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you this so that you might have peace in me. In the world you will have trouble, but take courage. I have conquered the world. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. This is the most sacred time in the liturgical year of the church. It is really the, the time of the first novena, where we are inviting the Holy Spirit, that's why we sing the, the Come Holy Spirit song at the beginning of Mass. We invite the Holy Spirit to come to us and to come into the church in a new and powerful way this coming Sunday at Pentecost. And in the readings, we hear about the work of the Holy Spirit. In the Acts of the Apostles, Paul goes to Corinth, where Apollos, who was a very eloquent speaker, and somehow had come to realize the, uh, how Christ had fulfilled so many of the scriptures. But as we heard in, this, in the reading on, on Saturday, Apollos didn't have everything quite correctly. And so uh, Pr Priscilla and Aquila, who had come from Rome, who had spent some time with Paul in Corinth, and then went on to Ephesus, encountered this very eloquent speaker and actually had to take, sort of take him aside and to teach him a little bit more accurately the way of Jesus. By the way, so one of my uh, confreres once thought that perhaps Apollos was the writer of the letter to the Hebrews because of his eloquence. Apollos was a great speaker, but he just didn't have everything quite right. And you see sort of the effects of this. When Paul goes to Ephesus, he realizes that the people there had been baptized with the baptism of John, that is a baptism of repentance, but had not been baptized in the name of Jesus. And so when Paul baptizes them, then the Holy Spirit comes down upon them and uh, as, as Paul lays his hands on them. Now, this is one of the references we understand where we in our baptism receive the Holy Spirit. And then in confirmation, that is the apostles laying their hands on us, the Holy Spirit comes down upon us in a new and powerful way in order for us to give witness to Jesus in our life, a greater strength to give Jesus public witness. And this is where it relates very beautifully with the gospel today. You can appreciate the disciples who were saying, oh, now you're speaking plainly. Now we understand what you're saying. And Jesus says, well, now that you understand what I'm saying, realize that uh, time is going to come a time of testing. Testing to see how deep and how rooted that faith is. And uh, he says, the hour is coming and has arrived when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. I think two things to point out about the gospel today. Remember, Jesus had promised to each of the disciples to the apostles that the Holy Spirit would come and they're going to have to wait for him to come after Jesus ascends into heaven. In that time now we are praying for that Holy Spirit to come. But he says something so beautiful and so deep. He says, you will leave me alone, but I am not alone because the Father is with me. Remember, when the, the apostles were with Jesus and once they had, they had run away because of fear of the Jews they feared that they were going to be put to death themselves. They didn't know what, what was going to happen. They all ran away. 
And uh, in fact, one even ran away, he was, he was naked, you know? They all ran away. But Jesus consoles them in this moment, knowing that they're all going to abandon him in this hour, in his hour. But he consoles them deeply by saying, you will leave me alone, but I am not alone. I am not alone. The Father is with me. I think these words, if we reflect in them deeply and we keep them close to our heart, we will realize we experience times of loneliness. We experience times when we think perhaps that God seems to be a bit, a bit far away, but he's not far away. We always have Jesus with us. And because we have Jesus close, we have the Father with us. The Father never left Jesus alone. He was always with him, united with him. In the same way, we as children of our Heavenly Father, we always have the Father with us. We always have Jesus with us. And it is the Holy Spirit who will remind us of this. The Holy Spirit who comes, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, will remind us of everything that Jesus told us. And he will remind us that we are not alone. So in times when you experience loneliness, when you feel isolated, recall these words. We can say them with Jesus. I am not alone. The Father is with me. I think with this too, it's amazing that Jesus in this hour consoles us. Consoles us. Sometimes when we kind of run away from Jesus, we abandon our faith for a little bit of time and we come back, Jesus consoles us with the words that um, you will have, if you remind us, we will have peace. We will have trouble in this world. But Jesus says, take courage, I have conquered the world. And this leads us to the second thing in the gospel, which I think is important, is that the Holy Spirit gives us that gift of fortitude. Fortitude which allows us to go through very difficult times, but in those difficult times to stay faithful to Jesus to stay faithful to our faith. Especially in the world today, it is very difficult to be a witness to Jesus. But that gift of fortitude helps us to stay strong, to be anchored in the Lord. Sometimes through, uh, sometimes we're, we're pressured or we feel like the world is against us or if we say something, people are going to abandon us or just, to, just kind of worried about what's going to happen. We're going to be accused of this or that. If we just stay strong with the Lord and that gift of fortitude will be ignited in us if we simply trust in God and trust in the Holy Spirit. So we invite your brothers and sisters the Holy Spirit to come upon us in this powerful way, his gift of fortitude, to be strengthened, to know that the, the, to stay strong in the good that is sometimes very difficult to achieve. And we need this gift in order to stay strong, be faithful to Jesus, and to remind, be reminded of his words that I am with you always, and the Father is with us until the very end of the age. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters, we, filled with paschal joy, let us pray more earnestly to God that he who graciously listened to the prayers and supplications of his beloved Son may now be pleased to look upon us in our lowliness. Let us pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, for all the shepherds of our souls, that they may have the strength and the courage and fortitude to govern wisely the flock entrusted to them by the Good Shepherd. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. The Lord Jesus says, in me you will have peace. And so we pray for the whole world that it may truly know that peace which is given us by Christ. We pray for the end of the conflict in Ukraine. We pray for all those places who suffer, suffer from different struggles and war and hatred and jealousy. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. 
We're reminded of our, of our brothers and sisters who suffer, that their sorrow may be turned to gladness which no one can take from them. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for our community, that it may bear witness with great confidence to the resurrection and ascension of Christ. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Let us pray that the Holy Spirit would come upon each of us individually and upon the church in a particular and powerful way as we prepare for Pentecost to give us that spirit of fortitude to always be faithful and bearing witness to Christ. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. And finally, we remember those who have died. And on this Memorial Day, we especially remember those who lost their life in defending our nation and our freedom. For the repose of their soul, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. O God, who know that our life in this present age is subject to suffering and need, hear the desires of those who cry to you and receive the prayers of those who believe in you. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you. Fruit of the earth and work of human hands will become for us the bread of life. Blessed be God forever. By the mystery of this water and wine, we come to share in the divinity of Christ, who humbled himself to share in our humanity. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you. Fruit of the vine and work of human hands, it will become our spiritual drink. Blessed be God forever. Humble spirit and contrite hearts, may we be accepted by you, O Lord, and may sacrifice at sight this day be pleasing to you, Lord God. And Lord, wash away my iniquities, cleanse me from my sins. Pray, dearly beloved, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and the good of all his holy church. May this unblemished sacrifice purify us, O Lord, and impart to our minds the force of grace from on high, through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit, lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation. Always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God. For the Lord Jesus, the King of glory, conqueror of sin and death, ascended to the highest heavens as the angels gazed in wonder. Mediator between God and man, judge of the world and Lord of hosts, he ascended not to distance himself from our lowly state, but that we, his members, might be confident of following where he, our head and founder, has gone before. Therefore, overcome with paschal joy, every land, every people exalts in your praise. And even the heavenly powers with the angelic host 
Sing together the unending hymn of your glory as they acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Pleni Sunceli et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, Qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. To you, therefore, most merciful Father, we make humble prayer and petition through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, that you accept and bless these gifts, these offerings, these holy and unblemished sacrifices, which we offer you firstly for your holy Catholic Church. Be pleased to grant her peace, to guard, unite, and govern her throughout the whole world, together with your servant Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all those who, holding to the truth, hand on the Catholic and apostolic faith. Remember, Lord, your servants. And all gathered here whose faith and devotion are known to you. For them we offer you this sacrifice of praise, or they offered for themselves and all who are dear to them, for the redemption of their souls and hope of health and well-being, and paying their homage to you, the eternal God, living and true. In communion with those whose memory we venerate, especially the glorious ever-Virgin Mary, Mother of our God and Lord Jesus Christ, and blessed Joseph, her spouse, your blessed apostles and martyrs, Peter and Paul, Andrew, James, John, Thomas, James, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Simon, and Jude, Linus, Cletus, Clement, Sixtus, Cornelius, Cyprian, Lawrence, Chrysogonus, John and Paul, Cosmas and Damian, and all your saints, we ask that through their merits and prayers and all things we may be defended by your protecting help. Therefore, O Lord, we pray, graciously accept this oblation of our service, that of your whole family. Order our days in your peace, and commend that we be delivered from eternal damnation and counted among the flock of those you have chosen. Be pleased, O God, we pray, to bless, acknowledge, and approve this offering in every respect. Make it spiritual and acceptable, so that it may become for us the body and blood of your most beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. On the day before he was to suffer, he took bread in his holy and venerable hands, with eyes raised to heaven, to you, O God, as Almighty Father, giving you thanks. He said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took this precious chalice in his holy and venerable hands, and once more giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, save us, Savior of the world. For by your cross and resurrection, 
you have set us free. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the Blessed Passion, the resurrection from the dead, and the glorious ascension into heaven of Christ, your Son, our Lord, we, your servants and your holy people, offer to your glorious majesty from the gifts that you have given us, this pure victim, this holy victim, this spotless victim, the holy bread of eternal life and the chalice of everlasting salvation. Be pleased to look upon these offerings with a serene and kindly countenance and to accept them as once you were pleased to accept the gifts of your servant Abel the just, the sacrifice of Abraham our father in faith, and the offering of your high priest Melchizedek, a holy sacrifice, a spotless victim. In humble prayer we ask you, Almighty God, command that these gifts be borne by the hands of your holy angel to your altar on high in the sight of your divine majesty, so that all of us who through this participation at the altar receive the most holy body and blood of your Son may be filled with every grace and heavenly blessing. Remember also, Lord, your servants, especially those who have died fighting for our freedom and our country, who have gone before us with the sign of faith and rest in the sleep of peace. Grant them, O Lord, we pray, and all who sleep in Christ, a place of refreshment, light, and peace. To us also, your servants, who those sinners, hope in your abundant mercies, graciously grant some share in fellowship with your holy apostles and martyrs, with John the Baptist, Stephen, Matthias, Barnabas, Ignatius, Alexander, Marcellinus, Peter, Felicity, Perpetua, Agatha, Lucy, Agnes, Cecilia, Anastasia, and all your saints. Admit us, we beseech you, into their company, not weighing our merits, but granting us your pardon through Christ our Lord, through whom you continue to make all these good things, O Lord. You sanctify them, fill them with life, bless them, and bestow them upon us. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always and with your spirit. Let us offer to the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, miserere nobis. 
agnus dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, miserere nobis. Agnus dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy you should enter under my roof. Only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. I will not leave you orphans, says the Lord. I will come to you again, and your heart will rejoice. Alleluia. After spiritual communion, by Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, Come, at least spiritually, into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Let us pray. Graciously be present to your people, we pray, O Lord, and lead those you have imbued with heavenly mysteries to pass from former ways to newness of life through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Regina Celi, Laetare, Alleluia, Quia Quem Meruisti. The Prayer to St. Michael. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruins of souls. Amen. 
prayer of deliverance. Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Transmitting the treasures of our Catholic faith to your radio every day. This is the Guadalupe Radio Hi, my name's Alyssa Vigil from St. Ignatius of Loyola Catholic Community, and you're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul.